What does it mean to be a follower of Christ? How can we live the truth of this out in our everyday lives? In this series, you will be challenged to not just claim Christianity, but to operate in the power of Christ's name. For more information, visit us online at lifepointaz.com. Hey, open up your Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 8. The book of Acts, chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one underneath the seat in front of you somewhere. Grab one of those or open up your smartphones. But we're going to be going through chapter 8 here more in an expository way. Uh-oh, one of the musicians broke their string. It's so sad. Whenever a musician breaks his string, a mu- an angel loses its wings. It's, it's biblical, I know. Acts chapter 8. So we're going to go through Acts chapter 8 in an expository way. And what that means is we're going to go through it verse by verse. We're going to go through the first half of it, uh, verses 1 through 26. And as I prepared to do this, I really realized that in, in chapter 8, as we see the growth of the church through persecution... As we see the beginning of the first converts of the Gentiles, which is most of us in this room, what we, what we begin to understand is how the movement of Christianity spread beyond the apostles' teaching. And so we're going to walk through that this morning. And what's really cool is how God, in his wisdom and timing, I got a call last week from Pastor David Stockton, who many of you know from Living Streams Church, the church that sent me out here. And he is taking over as senior pastor for Mark Buckley, and it's a two-year process. They're halfway through it. They're exactly one year into it. And by summer of next year, uh, Dave will be the full-time senior pastor, fully teaching. So what he's doing as part of the transition is he started these things called Vision Nights on Wednesday night, and he's invited the whole church to come out on Wednesday night. They do food and fellowship together, and then he shares this seven-pronged approach to the vision that God has given him for the church moving forward. And so he asked me to speak last night on vision number five to come, I mean, on Wednesday night of this last week to come out and speak. And the vision was moving from a follower to a disciple to an apostle. Moving from a follower of Christ or a fan of Christ to a disciple of Christ to an apostle. And it was so funny because I said, you won't believe it, but we're in this series in Acts, and I happen to be teaching this coming Sunday on Acts chapter 8, which is exactly that, is we're going to see men and women move from fans to disciples to apostles. So keep that in the back of your mind as we move forward, and keep that thought process, and then I'll explain sort of what the three are as we move through Chapter 8. So, Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 26. Let's start in verse 1. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. Remember the day? is the day Stephen was martyred. We spoke about this last week. So, the deacon Stephen was murdered for professing Christ to the Sanhedrin by being stoned to death. So, that's the day. A great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house. He dragged off both men and women, and he put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. 
So there was great joy in the city. Again, pay attention to that line. There is great joy in the city. Now, for some time, a man named Simon had been practicing sorcery in the city and amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great, and all of the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, this man is rightly called the great power of God. They followed him because he had amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. But when they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women, Simon himself believed and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and the miracles he saw. So here's this, this magician, this sorcerer, this man who has tricked people into believing he has power, he doesn't, all for his own fame. And he sees what Simon is, I mean, he sees what Philip is doing, and he says, holy smokes, this guy's the real deal. Like, he's actually healing paralyzed, broken people. He's actually causing demonic spirits to leave their bodies. All right, I'm in. I got to get a piece of this. I got to learn his tricks. This is like an understudy magician coming up to a Blaine or a Copperfield and being like, I've got to know what you've got. And so he, wants, so he gets baptized because that's part of it. That's what he sees everyone else doing. And he's like, let's, let's see what else I got to do to have these kind of powers. So when Simon saw that the spirit was given at the laying uh, that the Spirit was given at the laying on of hands, the apostles' hands, he offered them money. Oh, wait, nope, I missed the whole section. Verse 14. Let's go back. Were you following along? Did you catch that I missed that? <laughs> Everyone's like, mm-hmm. Yes, good. That's why we have our Bibles open. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. So Samaria is about 35 miles from Jerusalem. Okay, so this was probably five years' journey. No, it's not that long. So it's a while, though. So they send John and Peter down to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them, and they had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Only time we see this mentioned. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. So Philip, now remember, this isn't Philip the apostle, right, because none of the apostles left. This is Philip the deacon, who is mentioned in chapter 6. So he is the one who was scattered, went down to Samaria, and begins to preach. We're going to talk about why that's important again. Remember, follower, disciple, apostle. So when Simon, the sorcerer, saw that the spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone whom I lay hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered him, may your money perish with you, you filthy animal. Does your version not say that? Okay, well, you're not, you don't have the right version. You thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness. Pray to the Lord. Hope that he may forgive you for having such a thought in your heart. For I see that you are full of bitterness and you are captive to sin. Then Simon answered, pray to the Lord for me so that nothing you have said may happen to me. After that, they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus. Peter and John returned to Jerusalem preaching the gospel in many Samaritan villages along the way. Okay, so this is our scripture for this morning. Fascinating little piece of scripture, and what we're going to see from verses 
Acts, Acts 1 through 7, what we're seeing is the Acts of the Apostles in Jerusalem, in, in the Jewish-dominated Jerusalem. That's why they're having so much trouble with the Sanhedrin. It's why they're having so much trouble with the high priests and the rulers, because they are bringing the gospel of Christ to the people of Christ. And what happens with Stephen's death is it causes persecution. Saul begins to imprison people for the belief in Christ, and so they scatter so they can have religious freedom. And when they scatter, this is where in chapter 8 of Acts, we begin to see the movement of the gospel really follow Jesus' heart, which was to go into all the nations. And we talked about this at the end of the sermon last week. We said it is in persecution, it is in difficult times, that the gospel of Christ is most readily accepted. We agree to that? It's usually how it works, right? Okay, so let's start back in verse 1. Actually, we'll start in verse 2. We know that persecution broke out throughout Judea and Samaria, so they were scattered. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. Imagine how difficult this must have been. Imagine how difficult it would have been to have taken a man like Stephen, known by everyone there in your region, just recently appointed a deacon of the church, a leader in the church, and to have to have buried his broken and battered, stoned body. And all he did was proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. What? We just hired Mike Schamberg, right, as our, as our youth leader, I mean, as our junior high leader and our children's leader, and he does maintenance and facilities, and he smiles and welcomes you in in the parking lot. He's just got a heart of God. A lot of you know Mike. There's a lot of people in the Southeast Valley who know Mike. He's been doing ministry on a volunteer basis for 20-plus years out here. The guy just loves the Lord. And now he was just appointed to a position where he could quit his job, make half the money, get half the respect from me. (laughs) There we go. In order to be full-time ministry and work for the Lord. Now, what if you heard that within the next week or so, a city official or a leader of Pinal County came and took Mike's life because of what he did? Would that encourage us? Would that strengthen our faith? Would any of you step up and be a deacon at LifePoint? Would you take a paid position here? You see, I want to take a moment and focus on this because we live in a culture where when we see something like this happen, it is difficult to think about actually standing up for our faith and then being more bold, proclaiming more clearly, I will not stand by and let this happen. I will preach, I will stand up, I will rise up. And so this is what we see here is they mourn deeply for Stephen. Paul begins to destroy the church by going from house to house, right? And so many of them scatter. And so we pick it up here in verse 5. Philip goes down to a city in Samaria and proclaims the Messiah there. Now Philip, again, not the apostle, but one of the seven deacons, He's one of the one who leaves, and he goes down to Samaria. Now, why is Samaria not just another city? Do we know? They're hated. That's right. They're hated by the Jewish people, of which Philip was, of which many of the early Christians who had adopted Christ and and who he was, they are hated by the Jews. In fact, it's part of their religion, part of their teaching, that you do not touch a Samaritan because you will become ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. 
And now you're going to go down there, and we know that if he is uh, casting out spirits, that if he's baptizing, that he's clearly laying his hands on them, that he's clearly touching them and loving them. And so it's not just like he moved from Santan Valley to Tempe, right? Tempe is sort of like a Samaria, (laughs) what with its debauchery and awesome college that's there. But the point is, it's not just like he's going from one spot to another. He's going to a spot where there is almost a hated adversary there. You know, it's interesting. We're connecting with, uh, this is so cool. The Lord just showed me this. I talked this week with our missions director, Renee, and we're going to be connecting with a group out here in the Southeast Valley that is in charge of placing Syrian refugees out here in the Southeast Valley. Now, most refugees that come to Arizona are in the West Valley. I don't know if you know this, but we have, there is a massive thousands, if not tens of thousands of refugees in Western Phoenix, Glendale, Avondale, Superior, that whole area of refugees that have come in to the country. Many of them African refugees, a few Middle East, but there is nothing out here. And so there is this ministry that has been charged with it and approved, and they're going to be out here. And one of the things they're looking for is Christian churches and Christian people to get to know the refugees, to get to know those who are being placed, and to love them and help show them the city and what's here. Here's the deal. They are going to be nearly 100% Muslim belief. Can you go and love these people? We're going to. It's part of our next initiative here in 2017. See, today is such an important message for us, LifePoint. Because it's important for us to realize that we're not just witnessing to our next door neighbor who looks like us, has a similar job as us, believes close to us, but needs Christ in their life, so we're inviting them to church. No, what I think God's calling us to, and is exactly what the first church is doing, is we're going to minister and love people who completely disagree with us, who many of us in here do not like or find it difficult to like, and we're going to show them the love of Christ. Because that, that is where the gospel is most powerful. When walls are broken down, racial walls are broken down, cultural walls are broken down, religious walls are broken down, and you don't do it on your own power, and we don't do it because we have money. We do it purely because of who Christ Jesus is. That's the only way. And if you want to see the power talked about in chapter 8 that we spoke of, you want to see the power of people coming and turning to the Lord, then you will have to trust in who Jesus is and who he is in your life, especially when it becomes time to start loving people who are vastly different from us. And so here is Philip, and it says that when the crowds heard Philip, they saw the signs he performed. They all played, this is verse 6, by the way. They all paid close attention to what he said. And with shrieks and impure spirits came out of many, many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in the city. So there's a couple things Philip is doing here. One, he's preaching the word. So he was a follower. He was a fan of Jesus. He was a Jewish man who loved the Lord, loved Yahweh. Comes to know Jesus Christ becomes a follower of Jesus, then becomes a disciple and is appointed a deacon, right, of the church. 
is one who helps set up the tables, helps take care of the widows, helps make sure people are fed whenever there's, whenever there's church, essentially. And now, because of the persecution, he's being sent out to be an apostle. Now, this is cool. So to be a fan, to be a follower of Jesus, I call being a fan of him. Like, I like Jesus, right? Like, I like the Arizona Cardinals, right? I'm a fan of them. America has millions of fans of Jesus. We think he's super neat. We love how he likes everybody and how he's kind to people and how he heals people. We don't like all that stuff about him being the only way to God, but we figure he just messed up when he said that. But other than that, we are fans of Jesus. Jesus and the Cardinals, not the Dodgers, not the Giants. Those are terrible teams from Satan. I don't think any of my Dodgers fans are in here this service, are you? No, oh, okay, sorry. The rest of what I'm saying is mostly accurate. We become fans, and America is full of fans because when you're a fan, there's no real commitment, right? There's no, there's no if, if your team loses or if the person you like totally messes up, you just sort of back away from them and you're like, hey, go Cubs, right? We jump over here because this person's doing great now. But when you're a disciple, to be a disciple means one who is being taught by, one who is sitting under, one who is learning. And so when you take the step from just being a fan of Jesus to being a disciple of Jesus, you're saying, I am being taught by this person, I'm sitting underneath their discipleship, their teaching, and I am going to identify with this person. Do you see the change between a fan and a disciple? It's quite a bit. You own this I own what I am doing here. And then an apostle is the final step. It's what all of us are called to. And this is why David had me speak at Living Streams, because he said in my life he's seen me do that from a fan to a disciple, ultimately when I was sent out here to an apostle. Apostle means sent one, one who is sent, one who goes out, one who leaves home. Now, leaving home doesn't mean Phoenix to Santan or Phoenix to Africa or Phoenix to Syria. It can just mean leave where you are comfortable, leave what is normal to follow what you hear the Lord asking you to do. Perhaps God's asking you to become a part of a, a, a mission that we have here at the church. Perhaps he's asking you to step out in your time or your talent or your tithe and begin to do something you're not doing yet. That would be an apostle. You're now putting your, your value, what's valuable to you in action. Okay? So here we have Pete Philip doing this. We see him from a fan to a disciple to an apostle and begins to preach. He doesn't just preach in word, but what else does he do? He acts with deeds. He heals the paralytic. He heals the cripple. He casts out evil spirits. In his name? For his glory? No. For the name of Jesus, by the power of Jesus, he begins to actually meet the physical needs of the people. Do we see that? If you do not meet the physical needs of the people, you will not have their ear to meet their spiritual needs. Which is why so much of our finances and our time and our outreach as a church go to meeting the physical needs of people from benevolence to global to local outreach to the event in the park today, our goal is to meet physical needs, the need for community, the need for food, 
so that we would have a chance to say, who's meeting your spiritual needs? And this is exactly what we see Philip doing. So now it's something about this man in verse 9, Simon. So for some time, a man named Simon had practiced sorcery in the city. He amazed the people of Samaria. He boasted that he was someone great. You know, whenever I see a preacher or a Christian or a leader who's claiming to lead in the name of Jesus and they boast of themselves a lot, it's usually a pretty quick sign that they're not of Jesus. They're not of God at all. One of the cool things I love about reading the scriptures of the apostles and Saul and who becomes Paul is they are never boasting of their own accomplishments. It is always pointing back to Christ, which is a humbling thing to do. When the whole world is applauding you, when everyone's looking at what you're doing and how amazing you are, when you heal somebody who is completely paralyzed, I mean, that's got to kind of boost you up a little bit, right? Like, what'd you do today? I made pancakes. Cool. I healed a blind person. It's kind of a big deal compared to making pancakes. And so we fill ourselves with uh, pride. Well, look what I can do. And sooner or later, you begin to do it enough that you're like, I'm a pretty big deal. Well, Simon doesn't even have any of that power. He's tricking people. He's a magician. And so he's sitting here. He is seen as someone great. He loves the attention. It says both high and low, meaning people of authority and people who are the peasants, all regard this guy as a great power of God. They followed him because he amazed them for a long time with his sorcery. When they believed Philip, as he proclaimed the good news of the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ, they became baptized, both men and women. Now, Keller, when he speaks on this, it's interesting. He says that for him, this is further proof that baptism is not necessary for salvation or baptism is not what saves us because what we're going to see here is that these people are baptized, they confess a belief in Christ, and yet the Holy Spirit doesn't come upon them. And then what we're also going to see here is that Simon, it says that Simon himself believed, verse 13, and was baptized, and he followed Philip everywhere, astonished by the great signs and miracles he saw. So Simon believed in who Jesus was. He does the act of being baptized, of getting baptized, and yet never submits his heart to the Lord. He becomes a fan of Jesus. Why? Because he wants the power that being what he perceives Philip is, a fan, and he wants the power that Philip has. And then he sees the apostles come. And the apostles do more than just heal people. They lay hands, and the Holy Spirit is imparted on people. Now, this is a fascinating section of Scripture. Like I said earlier, it's one of the only times we see where someone is baptized and the Holy Spirit does not come upon them right away, right? So it says, when Simon... uh, Oh, I did it again. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. So there is something about the apostles at this time where they are like the accreditation board, right? They have been specifically given the power of laying on of hands. They, they were the ones who walked with Jesus. They were the ones who know scripture. They are the ones who know the truth, right? The further you get away from the center of truth, what happens? The muddier it gets, Right? Well, we threw in the pastor has to wear a tie from stage. Well, we threw in guitars are evil from stage. We threw in only the organ is ordained by the Lord. You laugh, but this is why we have 5,000 church divisions in, in Christianity. It's exactly this. 
We say you have to do it this way. We say it must be pews, not comfy chairs. We say no AC. That's why we're the first church of AC here in, first church of Jesus is AC here in Santan Valley because I believe in AC. The further you get away from the truth, the further you, you let the small little nuances and differences become gospel, the more divisions, the more muddied it gets. And so at this time, as everyone spreads out, and begins to organically grow the church. Now, this is cool. They didn't spread out because the apostles said, okay, you go to Samaria, and you go to Judea, and you're going to go over here to Macedonia, and you're going to go here. No, they just spread organically. And then they didn't wait and sit and be like, now what do we do? The apostles aren't here to teach us. They begin to speak. They begin to tell people of who Christ was. And they begin to have a boldness that they did not have when they were around the apostles. Do you see that? It's not just Philip speaking. It says that as they were scattered, they began to all share who Jesus was. And people began to come to know him and give their lives to him because of the testimony of the lay people. Hopefully that's a convicting statement for all of us. And so here's Peter and John, they come down When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So when Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Spirit. Now here's the interesting thing about being a fan of Jesus. When you are a fan of Jesus, you are interested in what Jesus can give you. You are interested in what he offers, eternal life, no burning in hell with the pitchfork demons that I've heard so much about. Fantastic, I'll take it. Sounds like a good team. When you're a fan of Jesus, you want the healings. I want the health. I want the wealth. Show me the money, Jesus, right? Like we look at Jesus like Jerry Maguire. Like, he's our agent. Like, he's out there looking out to give us the best deal in life. Like, he's the one who's going to provide us all of this happiness. And we are fans of Jesus. And this is what Simon was. He was a fan. Man, I am a good sorcerer. I mean, I know how to trick people. But these guys are actually doing it for real. I got to get that power. Whatever it costs, I'll pay. I got to have that power. Sure, I believe. Yeah, of course I'm going to believe in Jesus. Yeah, I'll let you dunk me in water. Of course I'll let you dunk me in water. To have that kind of power, that's amazing. You just touched the guy, and he began speaking in languages he never knew. This is awesome. Do you guys see what I'm doing here? This is exactly how Christianity, popular Christianity in America gets preached. We think Jesus is so cool. You know how disrespectful we are of him? That we wear shirts that say, Jesus is my homeboy. And it became popular. And Christian leaders were wearing them. How ashamed must we be? That is somebody who is a fan of Jesus, they would wear that. I'm a fan of him. I think he's neat. Until the world tells me not to be, I will be a fan of him. And this is Simon. This is what Simon's doing. And Peter looks at him, and he's just disgusted. May your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. 
That same thing applies today. America, may your national pride perish with you. May your self-entitlement perish with you. Because you thought God owed you something because of what your forefathers did. You think God owes you something because of all the first aid you give to other countries. You think God owes you a certain right. I'm telling you, we are so privileged. Let this be a convicting word, not a condemning word to you. It has been for me all week studying this. May your money perish with you. You have no part, you have no share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. Repent of this wickedness. Pray to the Lord in the hopes that he will forgive you. Oh, Simon, pray that God will forgive you for what you just said. You've been following Philip. You got baptized. You confessed belief all for your own self-satisfaction, all for what it could give you. None of it is there a repentant heart. At no time is there an understanding of the sin that Christ's death took from you. And so no, Simon, you are full of bitterness and captive to sin. I will not take your money. And to be honest with you, you have no part in this life with Jesus Christ right now. That's a scary proclamation, isn't it? But if I could stand in front of America with the camera that gave me access, there would be a similar message right now for most Christians in America. Christians, you love Jesus because of the promise of what he can give you. You have tried to buy a right into heaven, but you have not let go of bitterness and you have not repented of your sin. Do this. And my prayer will be, and my hope will be, as yours should be, that God will forgive you. Look at what Simon says to that. Pray to the Lord for me. Pray to him for me that nothing you have said may happen to me. Now watch this. This is it. This is, I see this a lot with my uh, five-year-old and six- and three-year-old daughters especially right now, is when they get caught for doing something, there is an instant sorrow in their eyes, not repentance. They are not genuinely repentant for hitting each other, pulling each other's hair, taking the toy from each other. It's so much fun when you catch them do it, right? Like I turn the corner and I see them talking, and the three-year-old, this, who's like this tall, and because she's a midget, and she, uh, she's, and she comes and she, the other girl's got a toy that she wants, and she just goes and she pushes her like that, and then she starts crying. And I come around the corner. I've seen the whole thing. I go, oh, what happened? And she goes, Audrey, Audrey hit me. Oh, my word, you're three years old, you deceptive little creature. Like, no, no, she didn't. And so I told her that. I'm like, I stood back there and watched you hit her. Now who do you think's in trouble? Her eyes get all big and well with tears. She's like, uh-oh. You saw that? Now, She's not repentant. She's not truly sorry that she hit her sister and then fake cried and tried to blame it on her sister. She is just hoping she doesn't get in trouble. This is Simon. Simon is not repentant that he just blasphemed the name of the holy God who created him. He asked the disciple to pray for him because he's scared to death. Oh, man, I hope none of that bad stuff happens to me. Would you pray for me? 
He still doesn't get it. His heart is hard. Listen, men, women in here this morning, if you sense any of that spirit in you this morning, I encourage you, repent before the Lord. I'm not saying you're full of that spirit, but I am saying in each of us there is that spirit trying to creep up that realizes we might get caught and so we quickly are like, sorry, God. But there's not true repentance. That's what Peter's calling him to, true repentance. You know, it's the coolest thing as a dad when you see your kids get it. My son's seven and a half now, and he gets it finally. It's sinking in. He's just not getting it because of the punishment. He's not just getting it because he hopes he doesn't get in trouble. He, he gets it now. And when you see that, that head hang, and he says, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. That was wrong. It's just like you don't even want to punish him at that point. You just want to hug him and kiss him and take him out to ice cream. Like, you got it. You understand the difference between being sorry for being caught and actually repenting for what you were doing. You see, in one, you'll go back to the sin. In the other, you turn from it because you realize it's not a way to live. After that, they had further proclaimed the word of the Lord and testified about Jesus. Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel in Samaritan villages along the way. The word of God will always start in the city. We see it all through the book of Acts. It starts in Samaria because Samaria is the biggest city. Paul in Acts 16 is going to be sent to Macedonia, and he's going to pick Philippi because it's the biggest city. Why the city? Because in the city is where all the business happens, is where all the people come to do work. Still to this day, it's the same thing. And then on the outskirts, they go to live. Or on the fringes is where you go home. Or on the fringes is where the gospel goes after it starts in the city. And it's really neat that here in Samaria, which is the city, the hub, that as Peter and John leave, they begin to stop at all the little towns on their way back to Jerusalem and preach the gospel of Christ. It's not below them. Those people aren't less worthy because they're standing in front of 10 instead of 10,000. Their goal and their objective is to share the gospel of Christ wherever they go, that all who would hear and believe would repent. Samaria didn't have joy until the Christians were scattered from their home. Notice how it says that? It says that once they came to believe there was joy in Samaria. It doesn't say there was joy in the converts. Of course there's joy in the converts. We know that. When you submit your life to the Lord, it brings joy to your life. It says there was joy in the city because the Christians weren't just staying in Jerusalem. They had let themselves go out, and the city experienced joy. In 2017, my goal, my vision, which I'll be sharing here in about a month for, the few, for, for what God has shown me and I've shared with the pastors and the elders and they've confirmed and agreed to it, is that we are going to be a joy for the city of Santan Valley, Florence, Queen Creek, the Southeast Valley. Life point and those who attend here, my hope is that you will catch the vision now because we are going to be a joy to the city. 
because we are going to leave home and all of 2017 and possibly even beyond, we are going to be spending time in the week and on the weekends out in our city, loving people, giving to people, sharing the love of Christ, not just through testimony, but through deeds and acts of love. And my goal is that we will see an, uh, a measurable difference in joy in the city because of what a few hundred men and women from this church began to do and begin to inspire other churches to do as we partner with other churches in the same thing. Is that something you want to be a part of? It's going to be difficult. It's going to make you uncomfortable. You're going to have to leave your home of comfort. Well, I just come to church on Sunday mornings, and I sit here, and I enjoy the worship, and I go home. That's your home. That's home. And I'm going to call you out. I might have to bring in a Saul to begin to persecute us. I don't know yet. I'll have to figure out how that works. I think we're going to vote one of those into office either way here. So that may do it for us right there. We may have a Saul coming January 20th, but the fact is that if we're going to be a church that loves the Lord and loves people, we should bring joy to our city. Not just because we've grown our church, but because we are a vital part of the community. And the community couldn't imagine being the community without us. Amen. Let's invite the ushers forward as we close thanking the Lord for his gift, for his sacrifice on the cross. We take communion every week here at LifePoint. And if you have a relationship with Christ, take the two cups. They're stacked on top of each other and hang on to them and we'll partake together. If you don't have that relationship with the Lord yet, just let the cups pass. Let them pass and... If you would like a relationship with the Lord, if you'd like to talk to somebody about that, we'd be happy to come and speak with you. Back in the corner over here is our prayer room. And we have prayer partners who would love to pray with you and answer any questions you have about the message today. But the greatest gift we can give you is just the meeting place and the opportunity to know who Christ is. And so while the elements are being passed out, I encourage you to take this time to sit silent before the Lord to bring before him any of your own struggles. Whatever you're going through, bring it before him. Lay it at his feet. There's nothing in your heart that he doesn't already know. So why don't you share it with him? Why don't you confess it before him? Allow communion to do the work of communion. Allow it to purify your heart and mind to remind you of why you take a breath every single day. So we know that those who would come to know who Jesus was and believe 
when they were scattered, they began to speak themselves. To be, they began to be less passive. Here's the deal. There were 12 apostles and tens of thousands of believers. The gospel would never have spread if it wasn't for those believers to have come and said, this is mine. He is my God. He has changed my life. Let me share with you. See, it's fine and good to bring people to church and to allow them to hear me speak. And you're, you're, you might say, I'm not as eloquent and I'm not as learned. And I'd say, fantastic. Fantastic. You are 10,000 times more likely to reach a person in your work, your neighborhood, your community, your social influence than I am because you have social capital with them. They know you, they trust you. And it doesn't matter if you're not eloquent. It doesn't matter if you mess up a scripture reference. What matters is that you are true and transparent and honest with them. So Paul who said, I come bringing Christ and him crucified alone. What I care about is that you know that Jesus died for you and that he loves you and that he wants to take your sin and he wants to take your shame and he wants to take hopelessness and fear and he wants to just tear it out and he wants to replace it with love. He wants to replace it with hope and he wants to replace it with destiny that he has on your life. And maybe I'm speaking to you right now this morning. Maybe your heart's hearing that and saying, yes. If so, then good. Jesus in the upper room with his disciples sat there and he broke bread amongst them. He told them, this is my body broken for you. Broken. You will do greater things than I. Take and eat. See that the Lord is good. When they had eaten, they took the cup. He said, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sin, for righteousness' sake. Take and drink and see the Lord is good. Father God, we pray as we close here in worship that your name will be honored in this place and that by honoring that name, Lord, we will take our stories and our testimony of who you are how you've changed us, how you've delighted us, how you've held us through struggle and pain and sickness. And we will ask, Lord God, that we will take that out and that we will have courage and boldness in this land, a land that was founded on the name of Jesus, but a land that is pushing that name out and crushing that name underfoot. Would we not let that happen to us, Lord? It's going to take disciples and apostles, Lord, because fans will fall away at the first sign of trouble. So, Lord, I pray this would not be a church of fans. This will be a church of disciples. We're committed to your teaching and the truth of the scriptures and that we will go and share it with others. In Jesus' name, amen.